Thank you, Father. <laughs> Lots more baseball stories if you're ever interested. Um, yeah, like, like you said, my name is Joel. It's a joy and, and truly a privilege to be with you all and to open God's Word with you. Today we'll be in Psalm 46. If, if you want to open up your Bibles or your phones uh, there, we'll be walking through that passage this morning. Um, yeah, my dad already prayed, um, but as you guys open to that, I'm going to pray again um, really briefly. Oh Lord, speak to us through your word. We thank you that it's powerful and effective to transform lives. Lord, we thank you that it's true and good. Um, we pray that you would teach us what we do not know. You would convict us of areas of sin, that you would comfort us, grow our faith in you, Lord. Um, just be here, be here now, Lord. Um, be using me, may I say nothing more or less than what your word says. Um, apply it well to the lives of those here today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, chaos and peace. Chaos and peace. Which is more prevalent in our world today? Chaos, absolutely. Um, if you read any news headlines, stay updated with politics whatsoever. If you work a busy job, um, where we are, if you drive on any of the roads in Charlotte, it's crazy chaos. Um, yeah, chaos is always abounding all around us. Our world is undoubtedly chaotic, shaky, and unstable. But take that question and apply it to your own life. Between chaos and peace, which is more prevalent in your life? Yeah, is there any stillness found in your daily experience? Or does chaos flood your mind from the moment you open your eyes in the morning? How am I going to get through everything I need to get done today? How will I be able to pay my bills? How am I going to make it through another day of work? How will my mind not be melted by my anxieties today? What evil schemes does the devil have to attack my soul? How will I make it through another day without a loved one? Maybe even just hearing these questions gets your heart racing. Chaos is a part of the fallen world that we live in. I'm sure it's a part of the individual world that you live in as well. So friends, how can we live in peace and stillness when chaos surrounds us? How can we be still when the worries of this world are so pressing? Well, the people long ago had a solution to this. They called them fortresses. When chaos, enemies were all around them, they built thick and strong walls of pure stone to keep the chaos out and to keep a thriving and peaceful city within. No matter what happened around these fortresses, the inside was kept in peace. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, the good news is that we have a fortress. We have a real refuge in our living and true God. Our Heavenly Father is a fortress in the midst of chaos, and He provides peace. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Because of this truth, Christian, you can have stillness in your daily experience. This is the point the psalmist makes in Psalm 46. Hear now the word of the Lord as I read. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear as the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. 
God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Today, we're, we're going to see two truths from our passage, one in verses 1 through 3, the other in verses 4 through 7, and then in verses 8 through 11, we will apply these truths with the psalmist. First, the first truth we see in verses 1 through 3 is that in chaos, God is our ever-present fortress. In chaos, God is our ever-present fortress. The psalmist writing, Psalm 46, begins his psalm with a statement on God's character. He is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's two connected truths here, both of which carry on throughout the psalm as a refrain. The first of these, that God is our refuge and strength. The original audience, the nation of Israel, would have immediately had images of God as their protection flood their minds. Whether it be freeing Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea, God's protection of Israel as, as they roamed aimlessly in the desert, the victories given to God after they, promised, after they captured the promised land, or the protection God gave Israel as their enemies fled upon them. God showed himself to be a sure and steady refuge and abundantly strong for his people Israel. There's nothing that could overpower God's all-powerful hand. Nothing, no one, no thing, no disaster, nothing could overcome God's people Israel because their fortress was the living God who exists as a stronghold for his people. Neither the chariots of Egypt nor the vast armies of Assyria, neither famine, plague, nor natural disasters could break the refuge of their living God. Saints, the same holds true today. No, situ no situation you will ever face will be out of God's hands. There will never, ever be a circumstance where God has to throw his hands up and say, you know, I, I didn't see that coming. You're on your own. Um, I just, yeah, I just didn't see. He'll never say that. Never. God is in control. There will never be circumstances where God, all-powerful, will somehow be pinned down by the schemes of man. There will never be a circumstance where God, our refuge, is overtaken by the chaos of this world. He always reigns. He always has strength, and he always and forever remains a refuge for his people. We can, we can take shelter behind his walls. We can dwell safely within his gates. We can withstand the chaos surrounding us because God is our fortress. Well, the second truth we see in verse 1 is that God is a very present help in times of trouble. God does not stand far off, but he draws near to help his people. 
what we just talked about, God is a refuge, would not necessarily be good news unless we knew God is our refuge and strength is intimately involved in our lives. What good is it if a fortress is just on the horizon? What good is it if God, our refuge, is standing there and we are outside the walls? But this is not the case for God. He is an ever-present help for his people. He will never leave nor forsake. He does not wonder or get distracted. Israel, again, knew this well. God dwelt in the temple in the middle of their fortress, Jerusalem. When armies came, God remained with his people to aid them in the battle. Again, the Old Testament is filled with, with times where God is intimately involved in caring for and being a fortress for his people, whether it be the Assyrian armies or the, the enemies of David. He thwarted every attempt of the nations to wipe out Israel. Well, church, God does not change. And again, for us, he still remains as an ever-present help for his people in times of trouble. In your times of trouble, God is present. God cares. He knows. God is there to calm. He's there to comfort, to encourage, to be a fortress. God is an ever-present help for his people. So here in verse 1, we see God as the ever-present fortress. But how can a fortress be a present help at all times? For physical fortresses, this doesn't really make much sense. What happens when you have to leave the fortress and go outside of it? It can't move. It can't go with you. Well, for, yeah, for physical fortresses, this is true. But our God is greater than those. God is not a stagnant fortress. He does not have to remain in one place. He's not only our refuge when we're at home reading his word and in prayer. He's not just a refuge when we're here gathered as the saints in church. No, our God is an ever-present fortress. He's a fortress that follows us around at all times. It's a funny picture, but just imagine this massive fortress following you everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. High and thick, pure stone walls following you, you around in your day-to-day life. This is your God. His walls of protection surround you no matter what. He is an ever-present fortress. Now, does this mean nothing bad will ever happen to us or that chaos will never trouble us? No. Actually, this verse assumes that trouble will come. It says, though the earth, or, oh, a little too far, a very present help in trouble. This almost assumes that trouble will be involved in our lives. This verse doesn't assure us that no trouble will come, but that our mighty God will be present in all of our troubles. It assures us that our chaos is in God's control and therefore is not chaotic. Think about the chaos that surrounds us can only get into the fortress if God allows it to and if it's under his hand. It may feel chaotic, but we have a real hope that God is over above, within, underneath, working through the troubles that we experience in our day-to-day lives. This is exactly what the psalmist goes on to say in the passage, that there is to be no fear. Look with me to, to verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. The psalmist is applying the truths of verse 1 briefly. The outcome of God being an ever-present fortress is that fear is cast out. 
The psalmist is saying fear is cast out when God is acting as our fortress. We are trusting in him, in him as such because inside this ever-present fortress, the chaos will not overcome. The, the psalmist then goes in to give four examples of this chaos that we've been talking about that cannot shake the fortress of God. This scene is a grand symphony of geological upheaval. Though the earth gives way, Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In other words, though an earthquake break apart the continents, though the Rockies be uprooted and thrown into the Pacific Ocean, though Category 5's hurricanes demolish every coast, though the mountains shake like rolling thunder, there is no fear for those who dwell in the fortress of the Almighty God, for He will not be shaken. Though the whole earth shakes, it can never break through the walls of God's refuge. If this geological upheaval cannot shake the fortress of God, neither can the daily chaos that we experience. In chaos, God is our ever-present fortress. Brothers and sisters, I, I urge you to cling to this truth, to trust in this cr- truth throughout your day. Know that Your ever-present fortress is God, and he's there with you in times of trouble. Know that he will not be shaken. Have faith that this divine fortress follows you around everywhere you go. There's no need to fear in the face of chaos, but only to rest in the character of God. To rest in the character of God. Well, we have seen God is our fortress, protects us from chaos. But what does it look like in the middle of the fortress? What does it look like if you're living within this fortress that is God? The psalmist quickly changes tones from the shaking of the earth to the peace of God's city. Look with me to verse 4. There's a river. Rivers are calm, gentle, peaceful. They make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Outside is chaos, the geological upheaval, But within this fortress, there's a river that brings gladness. There is peace. That brings us to to our second truth, found in verses 4 through 7. In peace, God has established his city. In peace, God has established his city. Think of those who have been stuck in a city for a while as an army tried to invade. Especially in Jerusalem, situated on a hill, it was impossible if an army surrounding this fortress to go outside and to get water, this life-sustaining resource that you need. There had to be a stream that brought it into the city. And this is what it looks like in the peaceful city of God. Throughout scripture, rivers represent peace, rest, and flourishing. Think back to the Garden of Eden. There's a river flowing out of the Garden of Eden. In Psalm 23, David uses the image of quiet waters to to depict peace. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to believers as having a river of flowing water flowing from their hearts. And later we'll see a river in the new heavens and the new earth. The psalmist doesn't just randomly pick the image of a river, but uses it to allude to the peace of God, which makes glad the inhabitants of his city. In the second part of verse 4, we see this city is inhabited by the Most High and is filled with his presence. 
The city is where God himself dwells. He lives there, makes his home there. Because of God's constant presence, the city cannot be moved. Even though other nations and kingdoms shake and rage around it, the Lord needs simply speak, and they all melt away. The efforts of all the nations and kingdoms cannot touch this city because God dwells within it. Look to, look to, look to verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. These forces stand no chance to God's simple word. The psalmist, as we have seen, is describing Jerusalem which is God's habitation under the Old Covenant as he dwelled in the temple there. Like many other cities in that time, it acted as a fortress, but also as a city. Because attacks were so common without warning, they, they built these cities within the, the fortress walls. And it provided a city-like function. It provided food, water, shelter, security, economy, but also protection from the chaos around it. The same is true here in the psalm. God's fortress is his city, and his city is his fortress. They're interconnected. As we saw in our first point, God protects the city from chaos around it. But here, though, we get a look inside the fortress. I see that God establishes his city in gladness and provides for those who inhabited it. For Christians today, we know Jerusalem is not our city. God now, God now dwells in his people by his spirit. We are called the temple of the living God we who are believers have no specific physical city or country on this earth that God promises to inhabit. While we do not have a physical nation this side of heaven, we do have a spiritual community. God has created us. He's created you here at Elkins Alliance to be this city, which God dwells within through each and every member here. The church is the institution which God now inhabits. This is why Jesus says in his that his kingdom is not of this world. It's not based on, it is based on spiritual, the spiritual state of a person, not their nationality, where they live, or their family heritage. And the church is referred to as Christ's body, which means God is in the midst of his church because he is in the midst of his people. And so, Psalm 46, interpreted in light of Christ and the New Testament, acts as a promise that the church will prevail as the nations rage against it, even as governments persecute it, even as people ridicule it, even as the devil schemes against it, even as wolves in sheep's clothing infiltrate it, God will build his church. God will have his bride. God has made the nations a footstool of Christ and put Christ as the head of the church. It will not fail. God will establish his church here in Elkins, as he will in Indonesia, as he will in Beijing, China, as he will in Zambodia. Cambodia, sorry. The Lord of hosts is with God's people. The God of Jacob is their fortress. Friends, here at Elkins Alliance, God is with you. He is your fortress. God is in the midst of his church. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, Chaos surrounds us, but trust that God remains as your solid fortress. And within that fortress, there is peace as he provides for his people. In peace, God has established his church. 
May he cause peace to flow like a river here at Elkins Alliance. Well, while we live as part of this spiritual city, the church, we await a physical city to be revealed in the new heavens and the new earth. When we look to the New Testament, we get a description of this new city in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the whole Bible, which concludes God's grand story of redemption. I read Psalm 22, verses 1 through 3. See if you can catch any themes that that relate back to Psalm 46. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Notice the similarity between the city of God and the city described in Psalm 46. Both have a river that brings life. The river sustains both cities, brings gladness, brings peace. Notice that the river in Revelation clue us in to who this, the source of this river is. It says it flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Friends, it's a clear reference to Jesus Christ, who is a slain and risen Lamb, who has come to take away the sins of the world. He is the one who is a living, peaceful water, who satisfies the souls of those who drink from it. He reigns on his throne and distributes life-sustaining water overabundantly to the inhabitants of his city. He is the one who brings reconciliation between us as sinful people and the Holy One in heaven. He is the one who has shed his blood to cover our sins and to make atonement for those who would repent and believe in him. He is the one who mediates for his people at the right hand of the Father, pleading on their behalf and continually making atonement for their sins to bring peace Christ is the one who brings ultimate peace because he is the only one who who can redeem sinners. So let me ask you, friend, are are you an inhabitant of this city? Have you given your life to Christ by trusting in his death and resurrection, by trusting in his death for the forgiveness of your sins and his resurrection for the redemption of your life? Have you bent a knee to the Lord in submission and surrendered all to him by repenting of sin. This is the only way to become an inhabitant of God's city. This city is inhabited only by those who humbly bow before the throne, who point to Christ as their salvation, knowing nothing they could ever do could ever earn it. And those who bend their knee to Christ find that from that posture of bended knee, they can also drink from the river of flowing water that it brings life and peace. How great is our God who gives us life as we draw, as we throw ourselves before him in servanthood and worship. God's demand for worship is a promise of life. God's demand for worship is a promise of life for from that, pro- that posture of worship, we drink from his life-giving peaceful waters. From that posture of submission, we find living water that satisfies our souls. So if you're an unbeliever here today, I urge and beg you to kneel before the throne of Christ. Throw yourself before his feet, giving your life 
to him. And when you kneel, find a spring of eternal living water right before you to refresh and satisfy your soul. A river that brings peace with God, the judge of all. And you will find this river of gladness surrounded by a fortress to be your refuge. Now for the believer here today, are you drinking from Christ, this river of gladness, this soul-sustaining river day by day? Or have you gotten up from your knee of worship to look over the fortress walls at the chaos raging around and fear that it may break through? Brothers and sisters in Christ, what I'm asking is simply this. Do you trust Christ to keep you safe in the chaos as you bow before him and worship? Do you trust Christ to bring you peace? Do not be consumed by the chaos of this world. Trust your sovereign Father in heaven to work all things for your good. Trust Christ the Son to be your eternal Savior and loving Lord. Trust the Holy Spirit to work peace and comfort into your heart. Not necessarily by getting rid of the chaos and troubles of this world, but by setting your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. To zoom your eyes out to the bigger picture of eternity. Away from focusing in on the troubles of this world. God's desire, God desires and demands our trust and he has ordered the world in such a way that our trust in him brings us peace. Trust in him. Worship him. It brings peace. Knowing God's character. Reminding yourself of God's character. Go to him time and time again. What we've seen in in verses 1 through 7, the psalmist declaring that God is our ever-present and peaceful fortress. The tone goes from a shaking world to an immovable city, from chaos to peace. Hidden within this structure, I believe, is the roadmap to the psalmist's commands in verses 8 through 11. And this command is to behold God's works and to be still. To behold God's works and to be still. This imperative by the psalmist is based on the truths he set out in the preceding verses. The summary of, uh, of those verses, found in verses 11, 7 and 11, is the refrain, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He then puts two pairs of commands right between these refrains in verses 8 through 10. We'll look briefly at both. First, the psalmist commands the reader to come and behold the works of the Lord. Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord. The psalmist wants to get our eyes on the Lord and off of everything else. This simple command is helpful in times of anxiety, distress, fear, uncertainty, hardship, suffering. When our minds are laser focused on the problems of this life, we fail to, be, to consider God's ability to work in and through our troubles. We get so focused on our issues that we fail to look up to our Heavenly Father. Too often, we're like a, tr- a child trying to a nail, hammer in a nail. Focus on the problem at hand. He is bending his nails left and right, failing to actually get it into the wood. 
all the while, while failing time and time again and being laser focused on trying to get this nail in, he forgets to look up to see his father ready to help him. Finally, when he bends yet another nail in all the frustration, only then does he look up to see his heavenly father waiting to help. Saints, let, let this not be a description of your life. Let us look to our Heavenly Father before troubles hit, in the midst of our troubles, and after troubles leave. For He's present in all of it. What if the reality of the Lord of hosts preceded, indwelt, and followed our efforts throughout each day? What if we looked to His works before we looked to ours? What if we looked to His abilities rather than our insufficiency? That is what God is commanding of us through this psalm. He is commanding us to come to him, to to behold him, to behold his works, and to remember his presence before we are overwhelmed with the chaos around us. To see God as a solid fortress before we get caught up in the problems of life. To see the spiritual reality of, of God as fortress before we approach the physical reality of the problems of this world. Again, will will this solve all your problems? Will this free you from all troubles in life? No. But it gives a perspective of faith and hope. One that is, I believe, biblically commanded. Well, what is God's works? We see in verses 8 through 9 that it is the ending of all war, which is the most vivid picture of chaos in our world. In modern language, the Lord will break the guns and shatter the nuclear weapons. He will burn the tanks with fire. He will bring an end to all war upon this earth and set peace upon it. In light of all that's happening in the Middle East, between Israel and Gaza, and still in Ukraine and and in between Russia, we can be confident that as we mourn with those who mourn and do our best to support them in whatever way we can, through prayer, giving, whatever it may be, we can be confident that there will come a day when the inhumaneness, the disregard for human life, the barbarity, the pure evil will be put to an end. And those who committed them will be judged by a just God. Justice will be done. We should pray earnestly for peace in that land and all lands, trusting that God can bring peace. He is more than able to. At the same time, let us keep our eyes on the day when peace will reign eternally in the fully redeemed new heavens and new earth. God invites us to take rest in this truth, that if God will end all chaos then, he can handle our chaos now and end it if he so pleases. Friends, come and behold the Lord. Day after day, come and behold him. Let your eyes rise to him time and time again in the morning, afternoon, evening, and night. Behold his works, and certainly his greatest work in his son Jesus Christ dying on the cross and securing our salvation before that just and holy God who will judge sinners. The second command the psalmist gives is to be still and to know that God is God. These two commands, to be still and to know, are connected. The first is to be still. To stop. It literally can be translated as abandon, let drop, relax. As one one commentator put it, it, 
It's a, it's a command to stop and desist. Like boxers stop fighting when the whistle blows, so we are to stop and be still at the command of God. Or as children playing red light, green light, stop in their tracks when someone shouts red light, we are to stop in our tracks when God calls us. But we're not just to stop, we are to know, to know. Oftentimes we don't command people to know. I've heard parents, my parents, yell at me, no, and O, often, but never do you hear them scream, no, K-N-O-W. But this is the command that we see in this song, to know. What are we to know? That God will be exalted. That he will win in the end. That he is all-powerful. That he is sovereign over all the things in life. The whole earth will bow before him. Everyone will be on a knee before God. At its heart, this, command is a, is a command, this is a command for us to know God's power and sovereignty and to be still and to rest in it. To know his power over all things, which includes the things we're anxious, worried about, uncertain about, the fears and the worries. We are to know that the Lord is over all and brings peace. As I wrap up, putting it all together, this is how verses 1 through 7 act as a roadmap to the psalmist's commands to behold God's works and to be still. Verses 1 through 3, as, we've, as we saw, depict the raging of life's worries around us by speaking of the earth giving way, the mountains being thrown into the sea, the roaring waters, the trembling mountains. Then in verse 4 and 7, it depicts peace and stillness, found by dwelling with the Lord and reflecting on his character and works. The river of gladness, the help of the Lord, the presence of the Most High is meant to bring us peace. This is how stillness is found by knowing the city of God and the river of living water that flows through it, which is Christ. Even while the world rages around you, be still. Pause. Know that God, that you dwell within a mighty, within a mighty fortress in a peaceful city. Be still and know. Perhaps, and, and I'll, I'll close with this, Perhaps this psalm could go something like this for you. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though my future plans give way, though sufferings pierce my heart, though anxieties roar in my mind, though death swells up around me. For there is a river. There is gladness. There is God's peaceful city. There is the presence of the Most High. There is steadfastness. There is Help, there is care, for the Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is my fortress. Come, my heart, behold the works of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ, how he has defeated sin and death. Be still, my soul, for the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he lived below. Know, O oh my mind, the Lord's power and strength over all things. The Lord of hosts is with me. The God of Jacob is my fortress. Saint, the Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your fortress. There is peace found in his presence. Go to him. Be still and find peace in Christ and in our sovereign, loving, caring God. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, how humbly we, we, approach, we approach you in your word, Lord. You are mighty, you are powerful, you are transcendent over all things. Oh Lord, but how comforting that is to our hearts that are tired, that are troubled, that are weak, anxiety-ridden, hurting. Lord, you are with us in the trouble. You are with us in the chaos. You are over it. You are around it. You are working through it. Lord, help us to be still. Help us to know you as God, to reflect on your works, to know your character, and to rest in you. We pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts. Break hard hearts. Comfort those hearts that are broken. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.